welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. You are joined by myself, Dean. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Lizzie. Hello. And we are joined by nobody once again. It is a solo podcast for the two of us, even though we aren't solo. <laughs> I don't know if that made sense. <laughs> I also don't know if crunchy, dry cereal was the right uh, snack of choice during this podcast. That is going to the back of my throat and making me cough. I promise last, not to chew into the microphone. It was protein shakes last time. We've got cereal this time. I love to snack. <laughs> How are you not huge? <laughs> Because I keep my meals small. I just thought of that movie quickly. That's a huge bitch. What's that all? Mm, I don't remember. Oh, Shallow Hell? Maybe, maybe. Anyways, back on topic. Today we wanted to talk about what makes a good client, which uh, I hope people leave with some tips on how they can go about their coaching process better as a client. And next is in the following podcast, we want to talk about what makes a good coach. Mm. And uh, with quite a lot of coaching experience under our belt, we also hope to give some real-world examples, both in this podcast around what makes a good client Mm -hmm. and the next one, what makes a good coach. For sure. You want to kick us off? What makes a good client? First thing for me would be they have to be coachable. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, the biggest thing with them being coachable is that most individuals, I think, especially in the nutrition world, come to us or to the coach that they're currently going with some form of dogma. Mm-hmm. or they've been told that a particular method is necessary to achieve a particular goal. Uh, and it's much more effective, I've found, in my coaching experience with a client if they come to us with a much more open-minded uh, approach to like wanting to learn and being okay with potentially being wrong previously. Mm. So they need to be coachable. They need to be willing to listen, willing to understand, willing to learn. Mm. Yeah, so have you had a client come to you before who instead of – you know, asking you for your prescription or coming up with a plan together instead says, no, it's keto because I've done it before. That's how I got results. And that's what I want to do this time. So they're sort of pushing their opinion on you. I interestingly had a client conversation today uh-huh. uh, and he came to me previously having been a otherwise very low carb dieter, uh, almost to the level of keto. Mm. Um, and he said to me today, like, it's been really good to have gone high carb for quite an ex- extended period of time because your high days given to me every day of the week are higher than my highest days two to three days a week. Uh, And it's been nice to rip the Band-Aid off, not because I ever thought carbs were bad, but I just got into a really bad habit of going low carb because every coach that I'd uh, been with previously was a low carb coach. Mm. And that's the problem with the coach. It's dogmatic, but we'll talk about the coaching part in another podcast. A low carb coach. Mm. (laughs) So they just prescribe the same thing to everyone. Yeah. So don't don't come to the, to the uh, game with nutritionisms. Nutritionism. Yeah. In okay. that you believe that you should be a low, you want to be a low carb person or you want to be a high fat person. Right. I want to be an intermittent fasting guy. Right. So yeah. there's a place for all of those things, but here at Flex Success, we consider ourselves nutritionally agnostic, um, meaning we know we don't know everything. We know that there's a place for everything, um, but all in context. Um, there's some doctors out there or lifestyle coaches that consider themselves keto doctors or lifestyle doctors, but rather we figure out kind of what context is best for what approach and and we go from there. 
Yep. And that's too yeah. restrict. So don't mm-hmm. don't come to the party saying I need to follow X, unless of course you've got medical concerns and they require things like no gluten if you're celiac. Yeah. But um, I think that's being coachable and being okay and coming to the to the party with an open mind and just saying like let me <clears throat> let me learn from you is probably the first uh, barrier that clients need to break down when mm-hmm. they enter into a coaching client relationship. To um, maybe kind of argue that we're not saying to clients that go with a new coach and just do everything that they say because that's what being coachable is, but rather be open to those suggestions and ask questions. If the coach is trying to tell you, um, you know, you should eat 10 times your body weight in protein, something absolutely ridiculous, then the burden of, um, Ooh, I've, I've forgotten this word that I'm looking Mm -hmm. for the burden of evidence. Mm-hmm. No, the well, burden of proof yes. is what I was looking for. The burden of proof to say, oh, the, the, this is the literature to suggest why this would be helpful. The burden of, burden of proof is on them. My words aren't coming out right <laughs> right now. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it lies on the coach. It lies on the coach. So, of course, um, you can ask the questions and it's up to them to provide the answer. And if that answer um, is reliable and, and you accept that, then perhaps think about, Um, adopting their approach. Mm. My point for being coachable is willingness to change or not being stubborn because I've had clients in the past that haven't been coachable um, in the way that they've said, okay, I want to get this result. I'm like, cool, we can skin a cat many ways. We have to adjust this behavior or we could do this instead or we could do, and they're like, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. Nah, I don't. I was like, well, what do you want to do? What are you willing to change? Um, and they sort of want to do everything the same way but still get the result. And unfortunately, uh, the laws of physics and biology still apply to them. So there are some changes that they needed to have made to get the result, um, and which they weren't willing to. They were just maybe stubborn. Instead of being stubborn about the right things, stubborn about their health, stubborn about their goals, they were stubborn about the behaviours that they didn't want to give up, mm. um, which didn't make them very coachable. Yeah, I imagine it's super tough as a client who's potentially like um – tried multiple different coaches, tried multiple different diets. Some would say, in air quotes, tried everything. (laughs) Uh, To then come to the party without at least some dogmatic belief around what what works for you and what doesn't. Mm. Uh, But the more you can step away. How would you know when you don't really try anything for longer than a couple of weeks? The more you can step away from that and (laughs) and just come to, again, the party. I've said this so many times now with a bit of an open mind and the willingness to learn and the willingness Mm. to change, like you said you'll likely be in a far better position not only to get results but to have really good communication with your coach, which is just going to set you up for success. Mm. Our second point is uh, that makes a good client is to have realistic expectations. So it would definitely be up to the coach to help set these expectations for the client, but the client also needs to be realistic um, around how much time and effort it takes to get a result. Now, if I have somebody that is 60 kilos and they want to be 58 kilos, the time and effort required to lose two kilos probably isn't that extreme. But we've had clients that have needed to lose 20 kilos plus um, and they have really long-held habits from childhood that's really difficult to break, maybe emotional eating habits, for example. And we need to help them as coaches build different skills, but they also need to implement those things. And it takes a long time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, realistic expectations on the time required to achieve that result, super important. Mm-hmm. And probably even um, more so alongside that is the effort required to achieve that result. Like what do you actually have to change mm-hmm. in order to achieve that result? 
in that given amount of time. Mm. And there's a sliding scale here. Every time, obviously, the, the um, excessiveness of the goal goes up, or the extremity, I should say, then the potential uh, manipulation of your current lifestyle is also going to change. Mm. So if you set realistic expectations on yourself, you can set realistic goals and realistic targets and you'll get a far better result. Mm. But if you come into the party with, oh, I want to lose 10 kilos in 10 weeks, but I want to do everything that I'm currently doing the same, chances are probably not going to get. No, results. just get your leg amputated. That's 10 kilos gone right there. There is liposuction. <laughs> there is liposuction. <laughs> That's very, very true. Yeah. Um, I think also what's important, I know you and I speak about this all the time too, is uh, realistic expectations of your coach. Mm-hmm. Like most clients, I think, don't really know what they should expect out of their coach or worse, they have such high expectations of the coach doing absolutely everything and they rely on the coach as like the crux for success but also for failure. Mm. That's problematic. So like your coach isn't going to be somebody that's going to be there like every day, every minute, every hour. And that's not their goal. The goal of the coach then is obviously to provide the opportunity for the client to not be relying on us. Again, that'll be part of the how to be a good coach part. Um, But expectations of the coach and what their role is. Yeah. Well, I've had both ends of the spectrum with clients. I've had some clients that are like, oh my gosh, Lizzie, I can't believe how helpful you've been or how individualized these plans are or how often we actually get to catch up on video calls because their coaching experience in the past has been um, a real copy and paste template situation, but they're paying for one-on-one coaching, Mm. which makes us look pretty good. Um, But then I've also had clients who, you know, will email at, 11 p.m. when I'm already asleep and by 6 a.m. I wake up to all these emails being like, why haven't you responded? I was like, because I'm fucking sleeping. (laughs) So I've had, I've experienced both. um, And although it's great for people to be pleasantly surprised by a coaching service, I wish that uh, people didn't have to go through such bad experiences first to be pleasantly surprised. Um, Of course, it's up to the coach to set the expectations from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's not really a blanket rule because I have some clients that just need a little bit more support uh, because they are going through more challenging times or they haven't established just the foundational habits that they need. and, And that takes more ongoing support. Whereas I've got more advanced guys where you can kind of set an instruction and off they go and they'll let you know if they have a problem. So it really depends on the client. Yeah. Um, but it, it's important that those are, you know, there's boundaries of what's realistic, but the coach needs to help set that up. Yeah. I think um, every client is going to have a, an idea of what they think the coach's responsibility be, will be. And then every coach will have the same as well of themselves. So part of the beginning phase of your client coach relationship as a client will be having the appropriate conversations to set the expectations of what your coach should be. Because mm. most coaches should be malleable mm. um, to a point. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to wake up at 3 a.m. You and I both did help uh, two of our clients out uh, on our wedding day. Oh, so, well, like, we aren't, we, aren't, we aren't all for, like, the coach should just do minimal possible. We no. also aren't for the coach should do everything possible. Mm. Um, but rather, we have appropriate expectations set up because our clients have certain expectations of us because we've had those conversations. Yeah, so at Flex Success, we have a social media day each. So, Dean will take Wednesdays, I'll take Fridays, Shannon will take another day. And it just so happened that the social media day uh, landed on our wedding day. And... Um, I was working on our wedding day. Mm. <laughs> and yes, I emailed back some clients and whatnot. And did I helped I helped uh, Jess Sikowski make weight. She was in America. 
Oh, yeah. And she was it just For a powerlifting. Company. She was almost going to have to spit in the bucket to make it. <laughs> so it was kind of like I was I was hitting her up like oh, in the morning like how's weight how's weight how's weight and she's like how's weight you fuck off and go marry uh, your lovely lady. I was like yeah but. I need to know, like, how's your weight? She's like, I'll be fine. Just let me be. And she made it because we set up. That's funny. Mm. But just before we move on from expectations, we should also note that um, the coach isn't there to do the work for the client. They're there to make suggestions, sometimes prescriptions, depending on the situation. But it's really up to the client to take the conversations they've had with their coach and run with it or make informed decisions from there. Hmm. This isn't a coaching is not a dictatorship. Um, we're not here to baby our clients, but rather we're here to help build our, build the skills in our clients, help build knowledge and understanding. And from there as adults, they can go ahead and make informed decisions. Yeah. That goes back to number one, too, is super massive with being coachable and being uh, in a position where you're willing to learn and change your ways is that you need to understand as a client, that your coach isn't there to be a dictator and they aren't there to manage your life forever, but rather teach you skills. So yeah. as a client, you need to be willing to accept that you have to have some responsibility yeah. for the things that you're about to embark on yeah. so that you can make lifetime sustainable change, not just short-term before and after picks like some people do. That's a normative statement that Dean made there, how it ought to be. There's definitely lots of coaching setups where clients are dictators and they do build a, rely- a reliance on the relationship. Um, or on a product that they're selling you. Like let's say Isogenics is a great example. They build a reliance. You'll only be healthy or only maintain your weight loss if you continue buying this overpriced product. Uh, that's not what a coaching relationship should be like. They should help you build the skills and your own a dependence on yourself instead of dependence on them or a product. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Number three, what is it? Number three, striving for progress and not perfection. Oh, the old client says they'll give me 110%. I <laughs> fucking hate that comment. You do hate the 110%. I don't, I don't know what it is with this. <laughs> is it like, because you're on the spectrum and you know that <laughs> something you can't give more than 100% and it just grinds you? There's kids. certainly an argument for the semantics of 110% <laughs> not being possible. Um, that definitely does bother me. But even just the mindset behind an individual who thinks that they can be perfect 24-7, eh, I'm pretty diligent when I do like contest prep, for example. Your own prep. Yeah, my own contest prep. Like I follow everything to the T, but I'm also not an idiot. I know that I probably a couple of times ate a little bit extra, but I might have been like perfect for 97% of the time. Mm. And that's normal. The person who wants to be 100, you're fucking lying. No one's 100. So I don't like the the perfection um, concept where people say, I'm going to give you exactly 100% every time. Mm. I really like when people say, like, I'll probably be 95%. So I'm like, Mm. cool, now we've got honesty. Yeah, or maybe I'll try and be 100% compliant because as an example, we might have mentioned the story of how Dean ignored a chest infection until it got to the point that he Mm. was hospitalised. When you were in the hospital, you can't eat hospital food when you're in contest prep right so i think you might have just gone without dinner that night um just because of the logistics of it all Mm. you you know you had to go to emergency you didn't have your kitchen with you Mm. um and most people wouldn't have got their step target in that day although dean walked home from the hospital because he had to do his step target Mm -hmm. but anyways but the point is that that would be um a genuine reason that someone couldn't get their dinner in or couldn't walk. So they try, they gave 100% mm-hmm. commitment and effort, but for whatever reason, they fell a little bit short. 
So you could say I'll give 110% I think effort. Asked, yeah, you could. <laughs> yeah. But I think um, the main message here is that your application is likely not going to be perfect mm. and it shouldn't be uh, and be okay with that. Yeah, because so the more that you strive to, the more you set up uh, expectations that you will be perfect, uh, you're also setting up the likelihood of you being disappointed in your efforts. Mm. Uh, in your, or not so much in your efforts. Your efforts could be good, but in your actions. Mm -hmm. And that, like, average over time is what's going to dictate the results for most things in life. Mm. Uh, so if you make a small mistake or I missed dinner, I'm like, instead of me being like, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed dinner and prep, like, this is going to ruin everything, and then it messing with my mind for three to four days, it's like, eh, I weighed up my options. I realized it was probably still the best thing for me to do is go to hospital. Yeah. Um, and I just move on. Because I'm not expecting perfection. I just want consistency uh, and to progress. And the time. best that you can do. Mm. Yeah. I um, have some clients that are really harsh on themselves. And so, for example, I just started, I won't name names, but I just started a new flexor, a female, and she had a pretty good week one. I think she didn't eat a piece of fruit one day and then what happened? And then I think she missed her bedtime that she set herself two nights of the week, something like that. Should have cancelled the contract. Should have cancelled the contract. She did pretty well. And, but she came from not really having any nutrition routine, not really training consistently at all. Bedtimes were all over the place. So she made so much progress. But by the end of the week, she was really down on herself and really beating herself up about it um, because she wasn't absolutely perfect. And what I did is I... Um, copied and pasted all the sections of her feedback that were like, I'm so weak because she couldn't do this push-up variation that I put in her program in week one. It's cool. Um, <clears throat> she missed a banana and she was like, oh, I can't believe I was so lazy or whatever. So I copied and pasted all of those bits and I put them together um, in quotation marks. And I said, hey, I'm not sure if you realized how harsh you're being on yourself. Here's some examples. I said, can you just reply to this email with how this could be reframed? And she wrote back saying, um, I'm dis I didn't realize that my strength had regressed so much that I couldn't do this push-up variation, but I'm proud of myself for beginning to work on it. Mm. And then she went to the next one and she said, um, I was too full to eat the fruit but I know it's okay because it was only 20 grams of carbs and or something. Oh no. she said, um, and this, I ate way better than I did the previous week. So she reframed things and that's really important, not just for mental health, but also we all want to win the game, whatever the game is. And if you're always like, I'm shit at this, I'm weak, I'm this, I'm that you're losing. And how long are you going to lose for? You're probably going to give up on the game. Whereas if you're reframing it in a way that I'm awesome, I did this thing, maybe I could have done this thing a little bit better, but how cool am I for trying or progressing? Then you're winning the game and you're probably going to continue. So it's really in your best interest to reframe things like that. Mm. And that's, again, setting back up the appropriate expectations itself. Mm. I was the same at a client today who um, wrote me an A4 page yeah, and the majority of it was negative. But yeah. by the time I got to the end of it, he'd trained five out of five times. Uh -huh. He'd eaten uh, the prescribed diet that he started on because he's only week two, mm -hmm. seven days out of seven. He'd achieved the relative set target that he had to do okay. seven days out of seven. Um, and I was like, you've ticked everything off. What's wrong? Like it's all about your subjective perception of yeah. what you think a good week looks like yeah. when objectively his week was actually fucking perfect nearly. Yeah. Um, so there it is again. It's that 
people wanting to strive, and he is very much the mentality of we'll give 110%, yeah. strive for perfection, and it leaves them feeling like they've failed a lot of the time, when yeah. if they just strive for progress mm. and have open conversations with themselves, they'll be awesome. For coaches listening, I was really careful not to say to the client, you can't feel this way or you shouldn't feel that way because who am I to tell someone else what they can feel? Instead, I just outlined um, or I asked the client to reframe it, and then once she did, I told her, the benefit of doing so. And um, what we started is an I'm awesome diary, which kind of looks like a gratitude diary. Uh, and she's just every day to write down three points about herself that she believes to be true or wants to believe to be true because she finds it really difficult to talk to herself kindly. Uh, and so this is just an exercise to help her uh, reframe some things and, and think about herself in a more positive light, which I think will have a huge impact on the end result. She sounds coachable. Yeah. You know, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. All right, number four. Oh, willing to give a little in order to or lose a little until uh, to gain a little. Let me say that again. Willing to. <laughs> Should we edit this out? <laughs> no, willing to lose a little in order to gain a lot is what I wanted uh-huh. to say. Good, we got there. Um, and that is that. Uh, again, if we look back at number one and all the rest of them setting up appropriate expectations is that whatever it is you're currently doing today as a client or previous to being a client where you're not happy and then you embark on a coaching client relationship and you want to create some form of change, there's going to be things that you're doing currently that you're going to have to lose out on in order to gain for the long term. And that might be like, uh, I don't like to go for walks. Uh And we might be like, well, being active and walking is a part of being a healthy human. If you want to lose weight, that's cool. If you want to be healthier and live longer, not dying is kind of important for that. And mm-hmm. walking activity is going to help you be healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they may have to embark on having some like regular walks or getting up 10 minutes earlier than what they normally would to get a 10 minute walk in or to do some. So they're losing or 10 minutes of sleep, but they're gaining health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds, sounds like a good trade off. <laughs> it does sound like a good trade off. Almost could be an oxymoron. <laughs> Don't sleep to gain health. Hmm. But again, context is important. But that's why it's so important for the coach to understand you, your needs, your values, your lifestyle before they set these things for you. Maybe you really value the small amount of time that you get with your family at the end of the day to eat dinner together. But your coach might say, no, you have to eat exactly to this plan and eat separately to your family. That, you know that wouldn't be a good instruction from the coach. Mm. Um, so there you're giving up a lot to gain a little. Mm. So we're not saying that you need to follow absolutely every instruction, maybe have a conversation and have some communication skills with you. you know. Yeah. Well, the, the appropriate side to what you just said as a mm-hmm. scenario is that uh, if you, if you want to be able to have a little bit more food freedom, mm-hmm. you may have to go through some form of food education process. Mm-hmm. That food education may require you just to step back from the family dinners as they are currently for a short period of time mm-hmm. in order to learn so that long term you can now implement typical family dinners, sit down with everybody and still achieve the relative results. You're yeah. If that doesn't make sense to anyone, what... What that might look like is food education to somebody. They might be choosing almonds for protein um, and instead of making a typical birthday cake, they might be using honey instead of sugar and avocado instead of butter or something like that. And the relative calories, fats and carbs are the same, but they don't. they think it's a better choice for their weight loss because it's a whole food. It's not sugar or it's not... It's not a processed butter or something like that. Um, so the education process would be teaching people what's in food. No, almonds are a terrible choice for protein. 
they're actually a great source of fat. Um, so and it's vegan, raw, and, uh, <laughs> and uncooked cheesecake. And organic. Mm. <laughs> it's a raw cheesecake. Mm. So the education process might be annoying in the sense that you might have to weigh your food out to see what a good portion of protein looks like for you. You may have to get your phone out, uh, learn to use a reliable food database to see that chicken breast is a much leaner alternative to salmon. Mm -hmm. Although salmon has some, some good fats mm -hmm. that you might want to have occasionally, but portion controlled. Um, so maybe you don't want to have dinner with your family just for a small period of time while you're going through that education process. And then you can let go of counting or a different meal. Yeah. Or a different meal. Yeah. Or maybe just pull out the nuts in the salad. Yeah. But this is the whole thing. You should only really have to lose a little in order to gain a lot. You shouldn't have to lose a lot mm. to gain a lot. That's for certain. Yeah. The point that I wanted to make here before we move on is sometimes we have to say no to some things that we want. So I'm going to say no to this crate, this tent for the 10th time today, I had a chocolate craving, which is very much me, but I'm going to say no to that eight times and only say yes to it twice. I'm going to say no to getting drunk with my friends every weekend. Um, but what I'm going to say yes to is maintaining health and a body that I want to live in. Mm -hmm. um, or I'm going to say no to sleeping in the extra half an hour and yes to exercise, which means that my deadlift is progressing. So saying no to things that will pass or fleeting feelings means saying yes to more important things. Mm -hmm. I have often referred to the ability to say no as a skill to my contest prep clients. Mm. And that is just because like when you go from a period of uh, an abundance of food mm -hmm. and you're used to being able just to say yes all the time, it's easy. It's habitual. Right? It's the it's default. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll have that. Yeah, yeah it is. The default diet is to always eat. Uh, but then when you get into the initial phase of a contest prep or any fat loss phase that requires you to say no a little bit more, at first it sucks. And it's kind of like you feel hyper restricted, even though it's only just a little bit of restraint. Uh, and then eventually though, the more you say no, they're like, all of a sudden it's just like, no, I'm fine. I don't yeah. need that. And it just becomes kind of okay, normal behavior. You don't have that emotional response uh, and you get better at it. So like that, mm -hmm. that no yeah. to say yes and yes to say no is really cool. Yeah. Recently I did a, I started a six week cut that only lasted for four weeks because I was actually doing it for a photo shoot that got canceled because of the travel restrictions. Thanks COVID. But I don't know if you remember, Dean, but about two weeks in, I remember sitting on the stairs with this huge chocolate craving. And I said to you, God damn it, I feel like I've made so much sacrifice and I haven't even changed all that much. But I think I was just having a fat day um, because the following day I remember waking up and being like, oh, I'm actually looking pretty good. And when I reflected on what sacrifices I made, they were really small sacrifices. It just meant that I like didn't put cream in my tea occasionally. Just, like, just like little things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But at the time when you're saying no to the craving that you're having or whatever you want to, it feels like a big deal, mm. but it's really not. It's yeah. really not And like, and I forgot about it the next day, mm -hmm. the next hour. <laughs> yeah. But what I was left with was with the thing that meant more to me, yeah. which was getting in shape for the photo shoot that never happened. <laughs> that was mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, that's four. What do we got? We've got more? Yeah. We got a couple more. Yeah, we've got being reflective. Ooh. As in looking in the mirror lots? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I do. Instead of eating for dinner, you just yell at yourself naked. That's <laughs> No. Uh, what you do is you stand side on to a mirror because it is about being reflective. Uh -huh. You take the donut and you open your mouth 
and you have the donut on the other side of your face to the mirror <laughs> and then you look at yourself eating the donut like this and it's as if it's going in your mouth and then if you close your eyes and really think about the flavours, that's there and then you're just going to have a dog behind you so then when you toss the donut, the dog eats it. For those that are listening and not watching, I recommend you No. <laughs> and then it's like you're eating donuts but they're calorie free. That's what we mean by being reflective. Hey, me picturing you doing this in the mirror reminds me of the time I said to my mum, Hey mum, stick out your tongue and open oh. your mouth and then pretend that you're shaking salt on your tongue. Mm. Uh, everyone on YouTube. Uh, so just um, picture a female with her uh, head tilted back, tongue out, chin up. Shaking, shaking. salt on her tongue, yeah. right? Um, you did this inside and- a yum cha restaurant in Sydney. <laughs> I think it was. It was a, it was a packed <laughs> yum cha restaurant. <laughs> and my mum's sitting there going, and I go, if you really think about it, you can taste the salt. Keep shaking it, mum. Keep shaking the salt. And then it took like her what, like 30 seconds. Yeah, and she and was like, she was, oh, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, I taste semen. That's so amazing. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> That was great. Anyways, nice side shoot. No, what we mean by being reflective is sometimes people seem to act out of emotion. They're, oh, I'm so tired. I'm just all grumpy. I'm going to stay in bed. I'm not going to do my walk. Or, I've had a really bad day. This bar of chocolate is going to make all my problems go away. Mm -hmm. Or, I feel tired. I'm just going to cut my session five sets short. And they end up just, instead of thinking about what might be and reflecting, what might be the better thing to do. It might actually be to cut your session short or eat that block of chocolate, but it might not be. So take a second to reflect and think about the consequences. What do you have to gain? What do you have to lose? And act accordingly. Yeah, so pre-action reflection we're talking about now. Pre-action, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like before you go through the action that you wish to do, reflect prior. Take a moment. Have, a, have an internal conversation mm. and then come up with a... Uh, an answer as to whether or not you think you're going to actually go through with it. It only might take 10 seconds of pausing. Just pause, have a glass of water. <laughs> oh, everyone, like, here, here's the perfect example. Everyone has had the moment where they're bored. Uh-huh. They're not hungry, but you're boring. No, you're bored. <laughs> yeah. um, if you don't watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that would have been lost on you. Anyway, anyway, so you open the fridge and you look at it and you're like, hmm, what do I want? And, of course, you're like, I'll just take whatever's the easiest thing to currently grab because I can't be bothered to cook it uh-huh. or anything. And then you kind of go, do I really want it? And then you just close the door. And then you go, ah, what do I really want? And you're like, nah. Well, what I actually don't I really want anything. Yeah. I'm just going to have I'm bored. some water because yeah. I'm thirsty. Um, that's that sort of reflective moment where you just take just a second to ponder mm. before you actually just reach into the chocolate tray that we have in our fridge. Shout out to my client Angelique and to my client Desiree, probably the two most reflective clients that I have. Um, I don't just mean reflective in how we've just described it, but also if they haven't had a perfect day or a perfect week, um, sometimes it takes a bit of discussion. So I'll organize a video call and without me prompting reflection, like what could you have done better? What do these consequences mean for you? They'll come to me and be like, Hey Liz, this is what happened. And I thought about it. And I think the reason that I did this was, and I think next time I should. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great. You've just coached yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really helpful to just take some time to think about, you know, if you acted less than perfectly, which is okay. Cause you're not a robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is the opposite in that we're going to post action. We're going to reflect on what uh-huh. just happened. Mm-hmm. What could I do better time. next time? So when you're, posed with or in the same situation or posed with the same problem, you can now act again how you did last time or you have a second option because you've thought about it and you've got that tool ready to go. Yeah. 
And I always mm. find uh, in moments of reflection after the fact, it's always good to have this internal discussion with yourself about what are my intentions, what are my actions, and then do they align? And if not, what can we potentially do to improve that? Mm. And if they do, then obviously you probably made a good choice so you're not reflecting other mm. than giving yourself a pat on the back, which is kind of important. Mm. Dean and I have really good habits um, and tend to go for the better option without having to reflect much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can really relate to some clients because I grew up in a house where yelling and insulting people was pretty normal. And Dean has a really nice normal family and they don't really seem to do that. And so the way that I used to argue uh, wasn't very respectful. And so, and I, I feel like I'm quite hot headed. And so when, if Dean and I are in an argument, the first reflex that comes to mind that I want to do is just like swear, insult, yell. And it's really taken a lot of time when I'm in an emotional state to be like, I'm going to regret saying that. (laughs) Or how would I like it if he yelled at me or something? So it's been a really long time, I think, since I've (laughs) raised my voice or reflected or said anything I didn't mean. I've molded her. You've molded me. (laughs) But honestly, it's not my first reflex to do that anymore because over time... I've just built, built new habits, built new habits. Mm. exactly. And so I, um, I, I can really relate to people who have reflexes that don't align with what's really best for them because, mm. of, because of that. Yeah, I think having the ability to have internal conversations with yourself that are both reflective uh, but also like honest and upfront and all the rest of it is like really important regardless of the goal at hand. And as a client, it's super important. Um, you can also even liken this to... Uh, the concept of uh, interoceptive feedback mechanisms that mm-hmm. people talk about with uh, overweight individuals not having the same internal uh, feedback mechanisms like an increased heart rate or anxiety or shortness of breath or anything like that when they eat or even a feeling of fullness. Mm-hmm. And that kind of a disconnect there through behaviours that have been built upon for years and years and years, mm-hmm. both physiologically and psychologically. Mm-hmm. And this is the same. It's having the ability to just take a step back and a moment to gather your thoughts, look at internal cues, have conversations, and then make an educated, informed choice on what you do next. Yeah. Like we would coach people through like the mindfulness of food and all the rest of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So the last one, we, Dean has something when he eats called his ultimate bite. And um, this, this is something. We can do a segment on that. (laughs) This is to do with our last point on communication. I've got the reverse Pete and the ultimate bite. They're my two claims to fame. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the reverse piece. So the ultimate bite is Dean will compile the best parts or elements of his dish um, into the ultimate last forkful or mouthful. Um, So he'll finish like the salad or the stuff that he doesn't enjoy that much, keep most of the bacon and the mayo. Yeah, I go around, I sample everything. Got to sample everything, assess which is good, determine which ones will combo well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do a bit of a double combo, like, I've got five ingredients, I might test two together, then I might test <laughs> another two together, then I might think, ooh, those four together will be great. He'll leave Anyhow, it to the side. because in my mouth. He does, he does. Um, and so the reason we left communication last is because we feel it's the most important. Mm. There's client, sorry, coach-to-client communication, which is so important as well, but we'll talk about that in What Makes a Good Coach. But right now in the What Makes a Good Client, we're going to talk about client-to-coach communication. Just quickly segue, what's the purpose of my ultimate bite discussion? Oh, because we've left the best part to last. Gotcha. I wasn't seeing I wasn't oh, seeing the connection there. <laughs> I thought what you were gonna say, this is also a part of this uh-huh. number six, which is communication, is that 
when Liz and I first started dating, I was already uh, doing the ultimate bite. It was a part of my typical eating strategy. Okay. And we went out for dinner. Uh -huh. I sectioned off my ultimate bite. Uh-huh. I waited. Okay. You continued to eat. I waited. I thought, maybe she'll finish that food. I had my ultimate bite, finished my meal in bliss. Uh-huh. And then you turned to me and said, I'm full. Would you like the rest of mine? Now, I have a rule. No food gets left on the plate. <laughs> so I had to finish yours, but I was pissed about it because... <laughs> Fucking ruined my ultimate. Plate. Well, it serves you right now, for not I waiting. I know I didn't communicate this with you that I have this thing, blah blah blah, because I didn't think she wanted me to be a weirdo, and uh, <laughs> my dinner was ruined. I'm and sorry. it was your fault. I'm no, sorry. it wasn't. It was my fault because I didn't communicate that I have this thing. And mm -hmm. if I'd have just told you, you probably would have said, "Well, I'm not going to finish once and maybe save that ultimate bite for last." That probably would have happened. Be a good communicator. Be a good communicator. What does it mean to be a good communicator? So, <clears throat> I. Well, we try and foster a respectful relationship or partnership um, between client and coach. And we can't do that if we're just setting instructions or barking orders at the client and they're just doing it. One of the benefits of an ongoing client-coach relationship is that there's an awesome feedback loop. We can have a conversation with a client, think, okay, we've established the best um, possible plan go and implement that plan. And the client can come back to us and be like, it was great, but you know, for some reason, this element and this element didn't work. Okay, let's adjust that. Or it wasn't so great because I had problems doing this and this, so we'll adjust the plan or we'll find a solution so that they can do that in future. So there's this awesome feedback loop. Um, whereas if you go to the GP, for example, you'd be like, hey, I want to lose weight. They're like, cool, here's some Duramine, like go and drug yourself for weight loss. Or remove gluten or whatever other terrible advice that they might give you. But there's no feedback loop. The client's not, or the patient in that instance, isn't going to likely come back or definitely not on a regular basis to say what worked, what didn't work, what could we do better. But we do have that opportunity with a client coaching relationship. So in order to facilitate the best coaching that we can for you as a client, we need communication to say what you like, what you found difficult, what you found easy, mm -hmm. what we could make harder, what was challenging that we didn't foresee being challenging. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I like all of that. Yeah, there's so much uh, in terms of how a coach can best communicate, but again, we'll save that. What makes a good coach? Yep. Another one uh, I think super important in regards to communication is to have uh, some foresight into any potential hurdles mm -hmm. or uh, life events mm -hmm. or anything like that that may get in the way of the current coaching situation so that you can either set up an appropriate plan to hurdle that mm -hmm. uh, or to work alongside it and with it. Yeah, so what would an example of that be? Um, like even for, for mine, for example, same client today that I spoke with uh, got time coming off uh, from work, holiday at the end of this month. Uh, but he will be roughly 16 weeks out or something from, like that from, from, a uh, from a stage contest prep. So he's kind of like into the thick of the first fat loss phase. Okay. Uh, and he's like, I'd love to take my girlfriend out, sorry, fiance, for um, dinner or something like that. And did he's, you say, too bad, follow the plan, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, was like, I don't care about your highway relationship. Highway or the highway, bitch. <laughs> no. um, and his, his communication was essentially, I would like a free night. Okay. Of eating, right? Because that's the previous mentality of he wants to cheat prior coaching. Yeah, uh, I was more of the case, like, cool, yeah, we can figure that out, but 
one of the things about this is that your subject subjective perception of what eating out is is that you have to be all in or nothing. Yeah. I'm going to say to you, you can actually eat out throughout the entire prep for the most part if you just choose appropriately. Like you can always go out for steak and you can always go out for steamed vegetables. Yeah. And I was like, if it's a high carb day, you can also go out for uh, yogurt land because that shit's got a scale and macros. So like. Uh-huh. You can go out and have dessert. You can make your own popcorn and go to the movies. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's the action of going out for him was easy for me to hurdle with other options. Yeah. Um, if it was something less like intense, like a prep, then you may have to just make, you know, other kinds of manipulations and considerations for the diet. But again, the, the, the main thing here is that the client has given me a, a good heads up. Yeah. In four weeks' time, this is what I would like to do. Yeah. Um, is there a way that we can manage that? And now I've got four weeks to plan what I would like to do. Which yeah. Is plenty of time. Yeah. Or talk to the client about Other. why cheat meals aren't helpful. Yes. <laughs> which he knows. Because- which isn't to say there's like you know you can't eat cheap foods. Like mm-hmm. we, I, we, that is not a thing. We do not support cheap foods. We do support you enjoying chips and ice cream and chocolate because they're regular foods with particular benefits. Also tacos. Also, we're having tacos in like the second we finish this podcast. We're it's going Tuesday. to taco Tuesday. taco Tuesday. What else do you eat on Tuesdays? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So you've got time to talk to him about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think um, we probably touched on this even in the beginning with the coachable and setting up expectations. So I think it's important that uh, the client really communicates like their values and like what they're looking for out of mm. the coaching client relationship. So you both understand there's not a miss. Uh, representation of like what my perception is of, of a good coach is and what their perception of what a good coach mm. is. Um, and, and outlining that stuff from the beginning is really, really important because then you're both on the same page. Yeah. When our clients exit the team, um, Sam, our assistant, sends a, a what we call an exiting survey. And it says, you know, who was your coach? What did you like about your coaching? What do you think we could have done better so we can keep improving? And um, I remember going through an exiting survey, and it can remain anonymous if, if people want mm-hmm. to, and this one was anonymous and it said that uh, it said who their coach was. It wasn't either of us. It said what they could have done better is their coach um, didn't give, didn't explain some things very clearly. And so then um, we, we contacted the client thereafter and we said like, Oh, Hey, thanks for the feedback. Did you talk to your coach about explaining things more clearly? Or if there was things you didn't understand, did you ask? And the answer was just no, they, mm. they didn't ask. And that wouldn't have been, I'm sure, an ongoing issue if the client was like, hey, I don't really understand this. Or, hey, when you give me instructions in future, can you give me more of an explanation? The answer would always be, I would love to. Um, yep. And communication comes in multiple forms too. Mm. Like it can be readable, listenable, or watchable. Yeah. Uh, so like part of my onboarding process with my clients is to ask them, do you like to learn via visual, via auditory, or by like are you typically doing things? Um, or do you read, sorry, I should say as well. And then most of my educational coaching will come via that means if they need to understand something that's perhaps a little bit more like difficult and outside their scope of understanding. Um, and that again only happens though, because the client tells me what their preference is. So it's super important that communication is there. Um, the more you can proactively tell your coach about what your potential concerns, dislikes and problems may be, the more they can plan for it. Uh, and then the more you also like reactively in hindsight, tell them what you didn't like, what you do like uh, and what could potentially be uh, managed, the better it'll be too. Yeah. Going back to point number two, though, um, we need to be realistic 
So it probably wouldn't be realistic to, but why, but why, but why, but why to absolutely everything because the coach only has um, so much time in a day. But of course, ask questions and the coach will probably be like, here's a podcast on this topic and here's a blog and here's my quick synopsis of why this is the case. Um, But it would be up to you to, you know, continue to dig a little further. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it. Until next time. Oh, by the way, there, um, you know, maybe a little more to what is a good client. This is just our five minute thoughts. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly probably more. I remember you did a a 10, a 10 list. A uh, 10 points list. Yeah. On what makes a good, Mm. good client. But we just picked our top six because we wanted to expand on them and we can't expand on them all. That is true. Now, before we go though, Liz. Yes. Because it's always fun at the end. Oh, okay. I'm going to throw a random one at you. Uh Uh-huh. Shoot. Shag or marry? Okay, who? Donald Trump. Oh, shoot. Wait, no, you're not, I'm not finished yet. I'll shag anyone but him. Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Rudd. Shoot, shag, marry. I'm going to marry Kevin Rudd. I'm going to shag Hitler. <laughs> and I'm going to shoot Trump. Are you, Trump is are you sh- <laughs> repulsive. Are you shooting Trump because he's current and that could be effective for you? Or because just if like we assume that they were all alive right now? Mm. I mean, don't love Hitler. That goes without saying. Um, but if I'm going to sh- and then I would probably say that I dislike Trump almost equally. Um, so I'm going to obviously shag the least repulsive one, which happens to be... Trump would ruin the bed sheets too. They'd be so orange. Ew. <laughs> Ew. I need, I need to eat tacos soon. I don't want to think about this shit. <laughs> All right. Shoot, shag, marry. All right. Phil Heath, wait. The Rock and <sighs> me. No. Can I... Can you not be in there? And can we put in the guy from Aqua or whatever? Who is he? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know his name. Kiwi guy. Oh, my eyes just being covered in... In something that's very sharp. (laughs) You're right there? Yeah, I am. So um, Aquaman, The Rock, and Phil Heath. Shoot, shag, marry. Hang on. I'm just Googling what his name is, and it happens to be Aquaman. What's his name? Kiwi guy. Doesn't matter. Can I shag and marry them all? No. Why not? There you go. That's it. Quick, come on. Who are you shooting? Phil Heath. Oh, no. Who's um, shagging? Aquaman. And you're then oh. marrying the rock? Yeah. Okay, done. Can I shag him too when we're married? Yes. Yes. I'm taking your silence oh, as a my yes. My eye hurts so bad. This is great for the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Bye.